You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Michael May of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office. It's good to be with you on Relevant Radio 950 and 930 AM. Every Saturday, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. Our broadcast week began with Father Greg Sakowitz and Mark Teresi talking with Mark Smeltzer, the Mercy Home for Boys and Girls Director of Communications, about how that organization has been greatly affected by the COVID-19 crisis. Let's take a listen. Mark, good morning. Welcome to the program. How are you? I'm well. I'm hanging in there. Thank you again for having me. Uh, oh, I was sure. here two short weeks ago when we were we were getting ready to celebrate our March for Kids and have a lot of fun and raise funds that way. And then uh, right before wow. the big raid weekend, this is kind of when it all hit in Illinois very hard and everything sort of shut down. And we've had to figure things out from there. Now, have you been going to work or do you work from home? Uh, for the for a little while I was, and then I've been home for a few weeks now. Um, we have made the decision to, uh, with the guidance of the CDC and other experts, to minimize the physical presence on campus as much as humanly possible. We did a lot of consolidating of things, uh, and all staff like me who don't need to be there uh, and who can work remotely are doing so and have been for quite a while. Um, I have a good little setup here in my basement, so this is my new office for the foreseeable future. Um, and of course, I'm 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 probably working a little bit more than usual <laughs> yeah. because there's so much to sort of keep to keep track of and to communicate to our internal audiences, our staff, and uh, so much change and so forth going on. So, um, but yeah, it's been. See, uh, I think you hit around the head, Mark, and that is for many of us, we are working harder because there is no playbook, there's no guidelines. Yep. And also, when you are being reactive to a situation, which means new direction, new protocols, mm-hmm. new changes uh, happening, it's time-consuming. Am I right, Mark? Right. And in some ways, it's a blank slate, which mm-hmm. for some folks, that creativity is a plus for them in terms of trying to create some new venues. For instance, at the cathedral, you're creating some new venues on how to communicate with our parishioners. With you. Well, and it's yeah. but it's a great— and Father Mark. It's a great—Mary and I were listening—this is a little, Mark, a little commercial for Holy Name, but Mary and I were listening to the spiritual reflection, and we were listening to you, you know, sitting in our family room listening, and we kept nodding our heads, yes, that's it, you know, the message, your message about choose this, not—don't choose the negative, yeah. choose the positive, keep focus. And uh, I keep telling people, you know, it's peace over panic, faith mm-hmm. over fear, wisdom over worry. Yeah, And it's rough out there. It's going to get worse in Illinois and other places, but the Lord is with us. And we can't, we can't um, forget the Lord is with us. Right. And one of the ministries, Mercy, that, uh, that Mercy has been involved with for 25 years is the Mass at Mercy Home. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, that Mass, I know the Cardinal says Mass at the Cathedral, which is wonderful, but the Mass at Mercy Home becomes very critical for people. You know, now. People, Mark, I'm sure there's been a, a real uptick for the uh, WGN Channel 9 Mercy Home Television Mass, because people are looking for ways to stay connected. But now, here's a line that I've been using. The church, or the churches are not closed. 
buildings are. You are the church. Mm. You are the body of Christ. So if the church is unclosed, buildings are. And we take that analogy, then people are connecting to, through technology, it's the best we can do right now. And, and the Lord understands. So it, um, Now, what has been happening right now at Mercy Home in response to the whole COVID-19? How has Mercy Home been affected? Mm. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for what you said about the Sunday Mass. That is very true, and of course, you are a, a regular celebrant uh, of that Mass, and um, we're pr- we're proud to be able to continue to give that service, and it's it's even more important now more than ever. It sure is. Uh, and, I, and I know it's a fact, Mark. It's about eighty thousand or seventy thousand viewers per week on WGN Channel Nine for Mercy Home Television Mass at nine thirty a.m. And this was before COVID nineteen. Right. Now. You can have a sense of humor. Is it true there's a dip when Father Greg is celebrant? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't have the figures in front of me, so I can't comment. (laughs) Oh, honey, flip to another station. (laughs) You got to have a sense of humor. Oh, you have to. Oh, and also, you know, Mark, you you also know um, the stuff on the Internet is flying, some funny stuff out there. And, uh, and, you, and we have to laugh. We can't lose a sense of humor. The gift of prayer, the gift of humor, you, you need it this time. Yeah. yeah. Well, those memes of the mayor going around telling people to, to not be together and mm-hmm. putting the picture inside of classic paintings and things like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Mercy Home, you've got boys' home, you've got girls' home, you've got aftercare. You've got, I remember I was at a wedding recently and Father Scott was celebrant, and he said, you care for over a 1,000 kids? How, how do you do that now? Well, uh, first of all, you know, uh, one of the under underappreciated dimensions of our work is the families that are connected to the kids in our care uh, that we're also providing some some level of service to. And when you when you add up all the children and families uh, regularly cared for during the course of a year, it's about twelve hundred. Twelve hundred. I would say it goes even farther. But these that's are the an ones amazing that are, number. We never have guessed that high. Yeah, so so the kids who live with us full time, for example, 134 typically at a time, they all have families. They all come from somewhere, and even though those families may be struggling, and in some cases, uh, sadly, those families may be fairly broken, um, we are doing everything we can to help uh, heal those families because those kids have to go somewhere after this, and, right. and those families need need help too. Uh, and most of them are struggling even in the best of times, and so they're struggling even worse right now. Um, we also have kids in our aftercare program who, you know, have families who, in our aftercare program, we've always sort of reached out to the families and directed them to the resources that might help them, uh, you know, get the healing that they need so you can create a, a more whole and functional family. And then we have the, our mentoring program, the Friends First Mentoring Program, mm-hmm. where kids who are from a struggling family who live out in the community are matched with uh, volunteer mentors. Well, those families are another uh, sort of area of our service as well. And so at this time, all those, all those families who are always, always on the margins of, you know, economically and otherwise, uh, are really pushed to the brink with job loss, um, you know, reduced pay, and now the stress of, of dealing with isolation and all these uh, stresses that come with this crisis. Uh, to that as well, so what we had to do with the uh, recommendation of the CDC is to reduce our, our, our presence on our campuses as much as possible. 
So what we did is on a case-by-case basis, every child that could go somewhere temporarily, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a friend's home or another family member or maybe the original family member, whatever the case may be, uh, we've sent them home. This was a few weeks ago that we started doing that. And uh, we still have a number of uh, several kids on the on campus who have nowhere safer to go. Right. But we had to make sure that wherever they went was, was the safest place that they could be it was a safe place they could be temporarily. How do you, uh, and we're gonna, go ahead. How do you keep up with them? Well, we, this is where we're going to get into the you know the planning that we've done to create a uh, entire structure of of continued care mm-hmm. for people both who live with us still and people who are living with temporarily in other places. I should also point out that you know every kid's story is very unique, and they mm-hmm. come to us. Uh, you know, from different circumstances, and they're all at different stages of their of their health of their life too. Mm-hmm. Uh, where some kids were just a few months from kind of going back home or whatever, anyway, and some kids, uh, we have because we work with the families uh, throughout the year when they're when they're with us. We have you know some of these families now have better tools to uh, dealing with the things that they're dealing with. Uh, Mark, so Mark that, what is the age range of the children there? Um, the, the resi- in our residential program, the full-time residential program, kids range from 11 at the lower end to anywhere about 21, 22, uh, certainly kids who are in college and, um, you know, beginning their work mm-hmm. lives. Uh, there's no official cap at the, at the top end, but uh, effectively it's about 22. Um, we also have a lot of, but most of the kids are in their teenage years. It's interesting when I do the uh, Mercy Home television mass for, for boys and girls, and the servers are the children from Mercy Home. You, know, you can just look at them. They so appreciate what Mercy Home has been for them. One one uh, young lady said to me, "Without Mercy Home, I would not be alive." Wow! I would not be alive. And uh, she's about fifteen years old. And uh, they're good kids. Come from tough backgrounds. And I just can't stress enough the great work of Mercy Home for Boys and Girls. Now, Mark, when you had that event a couple of weeks ago and it canceled on you, uh, that had a hurt financially. It did. Um, we, were, we were really hoping to not only raise funds for our program, and we're 100% privately funded, by mm-hmm. the way. I, I know your listeners here uh, know that, but we do not take government money. Uh, that allows us the flexibility, uh, particularly that, that we're seeing right now. We've, we've been very flexible in the way we're we're kind of remotely caring for a lot of kids. and uh, But throughout the year, uh, that private funding uh, allows us to really tailor our services to each each individual child. There's no one-size-fits-all method of treatment. And since uh, we can maybe uh, a couple of times right now on the air, is give us a web, a number they can go to to make a contribution. Sure. Well, mercyhome.org. Uh, okay. And you'll see if you go there, there is a little pop-up that says something about our, our crisis and, and what's going on. And uh, we're we're having to provide a lot of care now to these families, and I, I can get into that as well. So, in this new normal that we're in for the moment, um, we created. We've been meeting, by the way, all throughout March. You, you mentioned uh, kind of to echo what you said. Father Scott has been telling our staff and our donors to you know trust, fear not, and trust in Christ, but also you know plan and and mm-hmm. respond. So we've been planning and meeting virtually every day uh, for most of this month to 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 plan for the care that we're going to continue to provide to these families and these children. And part of that is that response was the creation of something we call internally the Compassionate Care Task Force. And what that um, organization does is allows us to coordinate 
the, um, the food resources, which is the number one priority for a lot of these families, the financial uh, resources in some cases, um, the, uh, the educational resources and the therapeutic resources uh, that they're going to need to get through this. Uh, but the number one thing, obviously, before you can, you know, do anything, you need to eat, right? So a lot of these families are struggling. So we're doing, our staff is continuing to reach out daily and weekly to the families of our kids and doing an assessment of their needs. And they're finding where, uh, which families are struggling just to put food on the table at this point, and they're not getting it from other, you know, maybe they're not getting a sufficient amount from other places. Um, and we're coordinating uh, donations from grocery stores and restaurants and delivering them to these families. So that we're doing is marvelous. A lot of, yeah, we're doing a lot of driving around and, and delivering food uh, to to our families as well. One of the things that I've always been, um, no, full transparency, I was there for seven or eight years. I love the place. Uh, but the dynamic leadership there, there's some flexibility mm-hmm. that you have built in because of your financial independence right. um, that really is charting a new course probably for some partnerships and relationships you didn't have before. Do you want to speak to that at all? Well, you know, because of our private funding, we do have to be uh, very creative, as you say, to secure funding and, and seek out partnerships, not only with the individual donors across the country who, who generously su- sustain this mission, but also with uh, businesses, local and, and even beyond. But in this particular crisis, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of, we're focusing a lot on, on groceries and, uh, I'm sorry, grocery wholesalers and grocery stores as well as some restaurants uh, with the support that our donors have given us uh, to try to, you know, coordinate some food deliveries or even food purchases in some cases to get, you know, to these families uh, who are in need. Um, you know, certainly we talked, when I was here talking about March for Kids, you know, that, that was a, a program that was made possible in, in large part by the the partnerships and uh, corporations that that sponsor us and provide us with uh, support, but now in this crisis, we have to kind of look at things a little differently as well, and and and, and do everything we can to reach out to those businesses to help. Here, here's what um, I was impressed with. So I showed Father Greg this last week. Mm-hmm. Crane Chicago business. The back, first one week it was in the middle. There was a full mm-hmm. page Mercy ad. co-sponsored and now last week the back page and i thought how dynamic in this crisis to say to the business community here's a mission that everybody can support because we're caring for kids here in our city during this crisis that was was very well done very well done how did that happen go ahead how did that happen well, if you're referring, for in that particular instance, to our March for Kids ads and cranes, I mean, there's an example where Wintrust, a good supporter of the home, uh, a great bank here in Chicago, good friends of the home, uh, you know, they leveraged some of their, their, their own advertising activities and donated to us and let us, you know, have the floor for a little while. Uh, and they had me on the, uh, their noon business hour on, another radio, on a radio station, too. They, they basically, you know, they like Mercy Home, so they're using their, uh, their megaphone as it were. Yeah, Wintrust uh, is uh, phenomenal. They're, they're so Ed generous. Wehmer, oh, okay. Ed Wehmer is uh, top-notch, a devout Catholic, and uh, a lot of his staff the same way in terms of just so generous to the community. Mm-hmm. And they truly are always giving back. And it, uh, Now, we only have a couple of minutes here left, uh, Mark. As you look into the future, what's mm-hmm. on the horizon? First of all, we know for the, at least until April 30th and maybe beyond, there's this, this new protocol in place now. So, but even go beyond that, what's going on with Mercy Home? 
Well, uh, obviously, it, everything changes day by day, but we, you know, we've had to stop admission, new admissions. Mm-hmm. We're going to, you know, keep planning for the day when we can open it that back up, um, but also welcome, you know, some of our kids back home and uh, helping the other kids transition to their next stage of their lives, whether, you know, whether it's going off to college or going off to the work world or what have you. Um, but yeah, there's, I would say that, um, you know, Right now, our, our critical need is fundraising to make this remote care and, and the service to families and the children uh, possible. Um, as far as the future, you know, Mercy Home has been around for 130. Let's put it this way: we've been around for 133 years. We, we weathered crises. We had the Great Depression. We had we saw the Great Depression, the wars, uh, the Great Recession. There was even a time at the very beginning when Father Mahoney, who founded the home, had had to disband the home because the the rent that where they were living was was. Uh, doubled, and he had to send the kids to other places while he scraped up a, enough money to purchase the land where we sit today. Do you realize the uh, Mercy Home, where you are, weathered the Spanish flu, 1918, yeah. 1919, the pandemic then, in which many, many thousands died. And uh, right. that was the first time in our archdiocese back in 18 and 19, 100 years ago, that the directive was also given, stay home, don't come to Mass. So this is not the first time in our history churches are closed. It's the second time, to my knowledge, in the archdiocese. And Mercy Home weathered that pandemic. And we weathered it because of the generosity of people like your listeners and people throughout the country who believe in this mission and, and support it and make it possible. And it's been like that since the beginning. And, and also because of our dynamic leadership, like you said, all of our presidents. Father Scott Donnie, who was a, you know, previous before that, Father Jim Close, just outstanding, mm-hmm. tremendous, outs- great priests. Exactly. And they spent all of their energy as a priest, as priests, and Scott's still doing it, uh, for Mm -hmm. the kids. Mm -hmm. It's a great testament to their priesthood, but also to the gospel message of serving, Matthew 25. Exactly. That's the core, that's the thing that animates everything that we do at Mercy Home, for sure. Yeah. In the last minute, Mark, again, give us the web and a possible phone Mm -hmm. number. Uh, well, the main thing we need is donations and people to support us at mercyhome.org. That's mercyhome.org. Mm-hmm. Phone um, number? 312 738 That number once uh, again? An 800 number, uh, Mercy, uh, 1-800-MERCY-55. Okay, let's try both right. numbers again. 312-738-7560. Correct. And the 1-800? Uh, one eight. Um, well, I'm sorry. One eight seven seven. I wait. Oops. Now we've totally <laughs> confused. You've, you've, now we've totally phone. confused the listeners. One eight seven seven Mercy five five. I apologize. I knocked my phone off the table here. Our best wishes and prayers to all at Mercy Home for Boys and Girls. Next up for Father Greg and Mark Teresi was author Mary Doyle. Mary talked about her book, The Alzheimer's Spouse: Finding the Grace to Keep the Promise. Mary, welcome to the program this morning. How are you doing today? Good morning, Father. I'm great. I'm I'm doing well. You know, I'm fortunate to live in a lovely townhouse and um, have supportive friends and family who were now video chatting all the time. So I'm doing well. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Batavia. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So, sure, right along the uh, Fox River there? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Do you ever go on that trail there? Oh, yeah. Go for walks. I was a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's very nice, very yeah. peaceful. Yeah, both in the spring and the fall, the changing the leaves. And uh, are you from that area originally? Uh, no, I was born in Chicago. 
So I was from Chicago, lived in Oak Park for a while. Oh, yeah. Uh, Geneva for about 25 years, and then uh, in the last few years moved to Batavia. So what parish were you from in Chicago? The famous in, question. Yeah, <laughs> right. In, in Chicago, um, I was. we lived on Hamlin in Iowa, so it was a lady, Our Lady of the Angels. Oh. Our Lady of the Angels, wow. Lady of the Angels, yeah, back when I was, uh, until I, I was in sixth grade. And then we moved to Ascension Parish in Oak Park. Oh, mm-hmm. sure. And since then I've been at, um, well, I was at St. Walter's for a while, too, in Roselle. Roselle. And then, and now St. Peter's. Been at St. Peter's in Geneva for probably, I don't, I don't even know how long. Now, so you're part 92. of the Diocese of uh, Juliet now? <laughs> and, and now we're Rockford. Oh, Rockford. Okay. It's Rockford. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. Geneva would be in Rockford. So well, tell us about yeah. the uh, the book you have written and, you know, fascinating the um, Alzheimer's disease, the Alzheimer's spouse, finding the grace to keep the promise. So, what what triggered that that book and that title? So, actually, there are two books that I have on Alzheimer's, and then a third one coming out this year on caregiving. The first one is navigating Alzheimer's. Uh, both of them were triggered by experience with my husband, my husband Marshall Brodeen. Oh, okay, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know. I know him from Bozo. Right. He was at Bozo for 26 years. What a wonderful man. Creator of TV Magic Arts. Very kind, loving man. Mm -hmm. Very, very kind. And we were married about nine years, and I noticed a change in his personality. Uh, A very easygoing, sweet, soft-spoken, fun man. Loved loved a good time, you know, Mm -hmm. loved to laugh and make people laugh and would do magic tricks and Mm -hmm. do silly little things. And all of a sudden, he was irritable, uh, constantly losing things, uh, missing appointments, having trouble at work, you know, with uh, co-workers. Mm -hmm. He'd leave in the morning and then he wouldn't come back to the end of the day. He wouldn't tell me where he was. And I later found out, well, he didn't know. He he couldn't remember. So what I saw now, was how the, old was it was Marshall when you start, uh, first started noticing this? Um, Marshall is he was twenty years older than me, mm-hmm. and so he was just just prior to his seventieth birthday mm-hmm. when okay. we started seeing problems. You know where it was interfering. Actually, I think Marshall probably had Alzheimer's when we got married. Oh wow! Mm. He was always very forgetful. Mm-hmm. And he had some of the signs of dementia. You may know that um, dementia is uh, an over, it's a term for a group of symptoms. It's, um, a, it's not considered a, a disease, it's a disorder. It's described by inability to, um, to remember new things, intellectual impairment, that repetition that we hear over and over again, mm-hmm. disorientation with time and place. And so I think some of those symptoms were there right from the beginning, but I thought that was just part of his personality. Right. You thought at that point, I, no big deal. Right. You know, and it didn't seem to interfere with our lives. I, he always had assistants that he worked with. I was his co-pilot when we were married, you know, uh, took over paying books and making appointments mm-hmm. and, uh, I mean, paying, you know, keeping the book, keeping and that. So right. It didn't seem to interfere until the personality changed. And at first, I didn't know what was wrong. It actually took me almost three years to realize that it was actually Alzheimer's, because I had no clue what Alzheimer's was back then. It took me almost three years to 
uh, figure out exactly what was wrong with my husband, mm-hmm. you know, with the symptoms. And it was a series of doctors and testing and research on my part to try to figure it out in the first place because I had no idea what I was looking at. I thought, uh, being that Marshall was 20 years older than I was, um, I wasn't sure if that was normal aging mm-hmm. or uh, was it anxiety or depression or was I looking at some other type of uh, mental issue going on or, or what that was. But, um, you know, after talking with doctors and my my background was um, always in reporting and writing. I wrote for the Chicago Tribune for many years as a freelancer. Oh, really? And, and so research was my thing. And mm-hmm. actually, navigating Alzheimer's and the Alzheimer's spouse are, um, they're like my tenth, uh, ninth and tenth books. So I've been oh. writing and researching for a, a number of years. You know, I have several Catholic books, too, that I have written. Could you name a few? Yeah, name a few. A Grieving with Mary is the biggest seller. Mm-hmm. That's the best seller. Um, it's Finding Comfort and Healing in Devotion to Mary, to, to the oh. Mother of God. Uh, who knows how to suffer more than she does, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can go to Absolutely. her. Absolutely. Mean, so if her. somebody wants to get a hold of your your latest book, The uh, Alzheimer's Spouse, Finding yes. the Grace to Keep the Promise, uh, how can they get copies of your books? So all my books are on Amazon, and also Active Publications has sure. almost all of them. They um, either have published them or are still distributing them. Yeah, and Greg so, Pierce has done a marvelous job with uh, over the years, and you know, great friend and and active yeah. publications. Uh, he's a wonderful man. He's, he's a great been, man, and they do great work and do great theology and books. And I highly recommend any books from Active Publications. I I met Greg at a trade show. I had originally self published my book, The Rosary Prayer by Prayer which is a way that you could pray the rosary following page by page. Hmm. And it, I had gone to um, several pilgrimages and brought back rosaries, and everyone wanted the rosaries. It seemed like no one knew how to pray it. So oh. I wrote that book so that they could learn how to pray, because I couldn't keep teaching all these people that wanted to learn. And um, Greg saw me at a trade show, picked up that book, and he took over publishing, and that's how we met. Oh, it was at a trade show. At uh, now, you know, getting back to your book, the yes. Alzheimer's spouse finding the grace to keep the promise. At uh, you know, in that book, I'm sure there are many myths people have about Alzheimer's disease, and I'm sure your book tries to set that straight. So, just in your dealing with people, when you give talks, presentations, and yeah. question answers, uh, I think, Mary, what is the number one question? that is asked of you about Alzheimer's or the number one myth you want to clear up about it? I think the number one myth is people think that you get a diagnosis of Alzheimer's and all lights are out. And it's not like that. It's more like a chandelier. Kind of twinkling lights here and there, Mm -hmm. and then periodically one of them burns out, one of the little bulbs burns out. But for a long time, uh, people with Alzheimer's can be highly functioning with some support. Mm. You know, as long as you have a guide going along and mm-hmm. telling you, because date and time becomes um, irrelevant. It doesn't really matter. And you learn in the long run as a caregiver that it really doesn't matter, right? Time, it doesn't matter. It's, no. it's, it's all one 
one thing of existence from here through the, to the other side. I love your so, image of the uh, chandelier versus the light being mm-hmm. out. That chandelier, like a little bulb at a time. So you went from initially kind of organizer, getting things organized, to caregiver. Yes. What changed? What what happened in that transition? That's a tough change for the spouse, and that's why both of the Alzheimer books were written because of the uh, executive director at the home that Marshall eventually lived at. And um, Pam Seaburn had asked me to write them because they were the questions that she was continuously asked by family members who came in. And for the spouse, you know, you have to remember, we don't, we are connected on every single level to that person. Mm -hmm. So whatever affects them affects us financially, intimately, uh, the decor of the home. Mm -hmm. Everything. You know, right, your friends, because they no longer recognize your friends and family members. Mm. So it starts isolating the caregiver. And with this COVID-19, I'm seeing the uh, caregiver's predicament being exaggerated because you become very lonely and very isolated as a caregiver. Right. You're, you know, you're in the house, and Marshall wasn't appropriate to bring to church anymore, and mm-hmm. he wasn't, um, it was difficult to bring him out to things. Wherever mm-hmm. I went, though, he had to go. And then he would tire easily. Uh, we'd have accidents when he was out, you know, so that I have to clean him up mm-hmm. and change the clothing and things like that. So it became more and more difficult for me to go anywhere. Mary, how did you take care of Mary? Yeah, good yeah. question. I didn't. Oh. And that's why I speak. I ended up very sick. I had pneumonia in both lungs, pleurisy. I was wow. 90 pounds oh, by the time gosh. I moved him. I was in really bad shape. And I wasn't listening to the doctor the our physician wanted me to move him for at least three years before I did. And, you know, there's so many reasons why we don't want to put someone in a home, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. You so you spent so up. much time taking care of Marshall, you forgot to take care of Mary. I didn't think that I was allowed. Mm. I thought it was part of my marital obligation to care for him undivided attention, give him everything I had. But I didn't realize that God also wants us to take care of ourselves. It's the old great line, you know, who ministers to the minister? Right. You're, yeah. you're a great was, gift you know, to who, him. The other great line is, who makes the clown laugh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now, and, you know, like I tell my families when I speak, um, caring for yourself is caring for your loved one. It is interesting. It makes me think my wife's mom was very sick, had, had Alzheimer's, and it took a long time f- for me to convince my wife that it was time for her to get care for her mother so that she could care for herself. Now, talk yes. to our listeners about that. You know, how, how are you doing that now? But how, uh, how did you find, I mean, did the, is the illness the thing that triggered it for you? Then all of a sudden you're laying in a hospital bed and you can't move? And that was a clue to you that you needed to take a care of yourself? A different game plan? Yes. You know, I think so many of us wait till something catastrophic happens. Mm. We wait until the loved one wanders off or gets Mm. seriously hurt in the home Mm -hmm. or we ourselves end up in the hospital because we don't want to make that move. But one of the things that I learned through moving Marshall, because I cared for him at home for 10 years, Mm. and he was then in Arden Court's 
for uh, another five years. Mm -hmm. So Marshall went a very long time with Alzheimer's. He had no other health issue. But one of the things I learned once I moved him was I could then again be his spouse. Mm-hmm. Instead of constantly arguing with him about he needed to take a shower, he needed to take his medication, come sit down and eat, don't put that there, why are you doing that? You know, it seemed like there was a constant agitation between us mm-hmm. with the caregiving. It's very hard to keep at peace and not let anything bother you. But once I moved him, there were caregivers doing those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All I had to do there is be with him. He was always happy to see me. He was much more affectionate, wanted to hold my hand. Mm -hmm. We'd walk through the gardens. Uh, I'd go to activities with him. And the same thing if you're the child, you know, rather than you telling a parent what to do, which is so difficult, Mm -hmm. you can now be their child again. They may not recognize you as their child, but they'll always recognize that they love you and they want to be with you. Now, did Marshall know you at the end by by your name or no recognition at all? He did, and you know, uh, there's an incredible story. Just several days before he died, um, he had been in bed for the weeks, not eating, not talking, kind of mumbling. He was up one evening, talked all night long. He told me he saw my mother and his mother, who of course are both deceased. Wow. And he said, my mother told him, not to be afraid, the Lord will show the way. Wow. The Lord will lead the way, the Lord will lead the way. He kept repeating. And he turned to me and he said, Mary, I'm going to go. You're going to stay. Hmm. Well, that was his, his gift to yeah. you. He said that yeah. to you a few days before he died. Yeah. In a very uh, coherent manner. Yes. He definitely had a conversation with the mothers. They were drilling him on his faith. Wow. He kept talking about what he believed. Yes, the Lord is my Savior. Yes, I believe Jesus wow. Christ. Yes. I could tell they were asking him questions, and they were preparing him to cross. They mm-hmm. were preparing him to leave. Yes, to, um, to go from this side to the Lord's side. Yeah. That is a powerful story, and it, uh, and then Marshall died a few days later. Yes. So he died very he much at peace. Never talked again, really. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that, that evening when he had this tremendous conversation with you, meeting, you know, your mom, his mom, and being drilled on the faith. But after that evening, he did not talk again. No. Well, mm-hmm. talk about a, a gifted, no. a graced moment. And then in the end, um, the, just moments before, he squeezed my hand. I knew he was passing. I had knew, known his breath had changed, his mm-hmm. breathing was changed, mm-hmm. but he squeezed my hand, and then he passed. Wow, There's, what a powerful story! And uh, and a word you used before, Mary, just this whole process of, you know, caregiving for Marshall, how it changed you, it changed him, is the word yeah. guilt. And I think that's such a powerful word because sometimes we do things out of guilt and we get in our own way. Yes. And we can't see clearly then. Right. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you have an energy now that you're telling this story. Some people have lived this life and never share that you know you have a you're compelled to share it what compels you to tell these stories i think being that i was 20 years older i mean 20 years younger than marshall <laughs> I was um, you're 20 years older man you you sound <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yes. fabulous happy centennial <laughs> yeah wow Holy <laughs> man. Like, give us, give know, us your I... vitamins <laughs> I'm 65. Oh, you're young. (laughs) You're young. Oh, my gosh. Many people in this predicament are 
in their 70s and 80s already. Mm -hmm. So they're 10, 20 years older than I am. And so I feel like I have to speak for them. You know, they're not in a position to be able to get out and travel. I've uh, Last year, I gave 19 presentations and traveled across the country and, you know, got to meet with all the families. And one of the things that really disturbs me with this virus is I hug everyone who comes into the presentation. Mm -hmm. I hug everyone who leaves the presentation, and I don't think we're going to be able to do that anymore. And Mary, I'm like you. I hug everyone. I'm known as a father hugger, and uh, (laughs) talk about now. Now I'm doing virtual, virtual hugs, virtual fist bumps, uh, virtual elbow bashes. Not the same, but we need to bring the program to a close again. The name of the book: The Alzheimer's Spouse Finding the Grace to Keep the Promise. How can they get a copy? Through Acta Publications at actapublications.com or uh, 800-397-2282, or they can go on Amazon. All my books, Mary Kay Doyle, are um, on Amazon and through Acta. You can hear that entire conversation by going to radiotv.archchicago.org. Stick around. In a moment, we'll hear from our friends at Catholic Charities. Back in a moment. There's really nothing quite like participating in a virtual event, and Catholic Charities has a great one for you to consider being a part of this spring. The 2020 Blossoms of Hope will take place on Sunday, April 26th. Attendees will log in free of charge from their laptops or desktops at home. Instantly, they will be connected to hundreds of the most compassionate people in Chicago. Blossoms of Hope will feature powerful speakers, moving tributes, and enjoyable online games, all dedicated to honoring those who have been lost to suicide. It will be the annual gathering of those who believe in and support Catholic Charities Lost Program that has been working for over 40 years to help survivors of suicide deal with the grieving process and move forward with hope. Experience how a virtual event can bring people together in the most inspiring way. To learn more, call 312-948-6797 or visit catholiccharities.net slash lostbrunch. Food pantries, home-delivered meals to seniors, evening-to-go meals for the homeless, financial assistance, counseling, and other services. These are all programs Catholic Charities has been providing for years to people in Cook and Lake Counties. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, we have worked to keep all of these programs going, never turning anyone away. The needs are urgent and they will grow, but we want you to know that we will be here, as we always have been, with food, housing, financial assistance, and ongoing support. Thank you to the many, many donors and partners helping us serve those most in need. We couldn't do it without you. Would you consider joining us too at this historic time? Go to catholiccharities.net to donate and to learn more about our volunteer opportunities. Thank you on behalf of all those we have the privilege to serve. Before, during, and after COVID-19, Catholic Charities is here. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that could be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. This week on The Voice of Charity, guest host Bridget Murphy led a conversation about changes in Holy Week services in Chicago with Father Gerard Kelly, Associate Administrator of Catholic Charities. Mary Ellen Kastenholtz, professor at Loyola University and staff writer of Keenager News, also participated in the conversation. Here's a highlight. Welcome, Father Kelly and Mary Ellen. Good morning. morning. I'm so, I'm lucky enough to know both of you, and I'm so grateful to have you on the phone this morning. Father Kelly, let's start with you. 
This Holy Week is unlike any other in the history of the Archdiocese of Chicago. Uh, how are we helping people on their Lenten journeys this week without the regular Holy Week gatherings in our churches? Yes, oh, thank you. Um, first of all, I think that the, the Cardinal, uh, the Archdiocese, they're, they're helping all of us by telling us to stay home. You know, they're looking after the, 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 uh, the health of each parishioner, each member of the church in Chicago, and we want everybody to, when we all gather together, to be, be one, to be with us again. And I was just reflecting the, the communion ministers, the ushers, these servers, all the people, all that goes into every mass, every celebration, how their, their lives would be in danger, and then it goes out from there. So I think the first thing is, is the cardinal emphasizing uh, to take care of your health and, and to, to be good citizens in this time when all of us are uh, living this Holy Week in, in a way that we never have before. Uh, but but it's the, the, the diocese is uh, in really the church throughout the world. It's it's really emphasized uh, the virtual uh, liturgies, uh, the online on television. Uh, you know, those those have been different publications that are uh, they're there. Uh, there's uh, live streaming masses. There, uh, I, I think they're encouraging people to be intentional about maybe what we could have just gotten into the habit of doing. It's a, a time where we can step back and reflect sacramentally to reach out to the Lord. And, uh, and so I think that's how, what's being emphasized. Each parish, a lot of, I know the parish I help out on weekends, uh, they have a, quite a bit of information on their website. And I know the guys there, they, 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 they still answer phones and all that, so... As much way we could be in touch without physically being with each other, uh, I think the parishes throughout the diocese are trying to do that. Great. It certainly is a challenge, um, but I did, uh, I think I saw the Cardinal on TV saying it certainly shows that um, church is more than a building, but we will miss, I know, um, you know, the sign of peace has never sort of meant more, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, to be able to turn to somebody on a beautiful Easter morning and say, peace be with you and happy Easter. Um, we will treasure those moments even more. Um, are there any specific things happening with regard to Holy Week in terms of we're, we're used to washing of the feet and exposition of the Blessed Sacrament and the veneration of the cross? Um are there things happening um, with that regard that you well, know about? Well, they're, they're, they're altering that. Uh, th this year there will be, no, uh, first of all, all the, the, the uh, celebrations will take place, uh, but with limited, uh, no more than 10 people. So uh, many of these, all of them will be live streamed, either on Facebook, uh, YouTube, uh, Channel 7, I know it's going to carry the Easter Mass. Yeah. Uh, but all of these, it's it's uh, no more than ten, six feet distance. Uh, so there's going to be no washing of the feet this year at the last for Holy Thursday, and uh, the veneration, and so right after that they will simply put uh, the Blessed Sacrament back into the tabernacle. There's not going to be the elaborate procession this year, and then uh, on uh, Good Friday the veneration of the cross that will be done by the the priest there. And uh, so all this will be on uh, live streamed on the website, YouTube, Facebook, all the rest of that. Um, 
so people are certainly invited to, uh, you know, they emphasize spiritual communions this year, and it's uh, it's a way for us to uh, unite our hearts with the Lord and His passion. So those are differences. So yeah, there's not going to be the washing the feet, uh, the exposition of the Blessed Sacrament, or the venerating of the cross as we're used to. Uh, it will be done by the by the uh, whoever the celebrant is at, at the liturgy we're watching. Got it. And then what about uh, RCIA candidates who we know that happens on Easter a lot in terms of baptism? Will there be a separate weekend devoted to that? Yes, I, I think as, uh, as I heard it on the news that the virus is setting the timeline for all of this. So right. I think when the virus is settled, uh, uh, I know I read on the, the Archdiocese website uh, it will be dis- discerned, you know, when that we'll have this. And I'm sure the RCA people are be in touch with the leaders of the RCA programs in their parishes, and I'm sure they're being in touch with them. So um, we, we want them, so we certainly will let them know when, 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 the, when that time will be. Do you have any recommendations for folks who are either struggling spiritually during this time or looking for ways to enhance their spiritual life while they're self-isolating? Uh, there's so many different uh, variables on this, which is probably true of every Sunday Mass, every Mass that's celebrated. Uh, but, you know, people are worried about their health, health of loved ones. They're uh, worried about their jobs. They're worried about loneliness. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, uh, situations factors that people are dealing with. And really every Sunday people bring these in one way or another to Mass. And, and the, the prayers at Mass and the readings... Somehow they speak to all of us, wherever we find ourselves in. So I, I would recommend people, uh, maybe uh, if they have access to an old missalette or something or, or prayer book, to the prayers for, for uh, the Masses uh, during this Holy Week or the, uh, the Good Friday, uh, to read the prayers and to, to enter into uh, the, the liturgy of the Church. And the other thing is, you know, holiness is love of God and love of our neighbor. And I know when I've, if I'm overwhelmed with certain things, I have to get out of myself. And it seems to be a spiritual principle to look up and see how I can be of help to others. And maybe if you're, if you're ushers, call another usher. See how the other ushers are doing. If you're a communion minister, call some communion ministers. Or, uh, to make contact to, and I, I think everybody appreciates if somebody calls to see how they're doing or, hearing how their family is doing. And, um, and then the other thing is, is to, if we have a favorite saint, to, to do some spiritual reading, because there's a lot of different ways that we could divert ourselves, but I think when we do some spiritual reading, it, it takes us off of the planet in a, in a good way. Um, it gets us caught up in, into the reality of our spiritual lives, the life, of, the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the focus of all these saints. And when we return from that world to our real, our quote, real world, we're better than when we left it, you know. There's other things people can do when they leave the planet to do the diversion. When they come back, they might not be better. So I, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, that's, we, so. that's fantastic. Thank you. And um, those of you listening, uh, uh, Father Kelly is often at our main office at 721 and is— does spiritual ministry uh, for all of us at Catholic Charities, and you can see how lucky we are to have him be in our corner in that way. Um, So wise and so gentle. Um, We appreciate it, Father Kelly. 
Um, Mary Ellen, welcome. And you are here to talk about one of your trips to the Holy Land. Can you tell us, um, did you go with a tour group or was it a church pilgrimage? How did that come to be? Yes, good morning. Um, we went in February of 2019. Um, so we were able to come back and go through Lent and Easter last year and with this beautiful knowledge and, and memories of what we had gone through. Um, and we were a church pilgrimage with uh, Old St. Patrick's Church, our parish. We were led by our pastor, Father Tom Hurley. And our guide was a man by the name of Tony Sabella, who was a Catholic Pal- Palestinian and a biblical scholar. And um, he was able to tie so much of the Old Testament to the New Testament. So it was um, not only were we seeing sites, but also understanding that so many things that were happening in Jesus' time was already talked about in the Old Testament. That's incredible. Um, we like a little texture and detail here. So how, how many folks were in your group and what sites did you see? So our group was um, about 40. Um, it was enough to fill one large tour bus, so it was uh, became a very intimate group. We bonded very quickly, um, and uh, we were able to, of course, stay together. We weren't going to get lost too easily. Um, the sites that we saw, it's going to sound like an incredible list, and as I think about it, um, it, it was so overwhelming to see all of these sites and to try to keep them together, but I'll just go through them, and for those of you who have been there um, or those of you that remember reading stories, um, if you're planning a trip in the future, here's some of the things that you probably would want to go see. So we started in Tiberias. Um, we took a boat out on the Sea of Galilee, which is, is just as placid and as beautiful as you experience it when you're reading it in um, uh, the Gospel. And I think one of our favorite pictures for probably many of us, um, we're used to seeing sunsets but we actually saw the sun rise over the Sea of Galilee, and many of us were able to capture that picture. Uh, we visited Capernaum. Um, we had Masses throughout, um, where Father Hurley, we had some very inspirational Masses for just our group. Um, so the Mount of Beatitudes, we had a Mass. Mount Tabor, the site of the Transfiguration, we saw that. Um, we went to Cana. Uh, we were able to renew our wedding vows. And oh, wow. It was, it was really a very special moment, yes. Um, and, of course, Father Hurley is only he can. Those who were not married, he made it very special for them as well. So it was a wonderful opportunity for all of us to just have a joyful day. <clears throat> and then we were able to see one of the remaining jugs from the miracle of, from the wedding um, that was still remaining. Apparently, during the Crusades and whatnot, during uh, various battles, um, the jugs were taken by different people, but one was remaining. Um, at Nazareth, we were at the Church of the, the Annunciation, where um, the angel appeared to Mary. Um, it's uh, Jesus' um, boyhood home, and so we were able to see the town there, a very peaceful town. Uh, Caesarea by the Sea, Mount of Olives, the Church of the Paternoster, which is our father in Latin. Um, this church was um, over 140 languages are there in the Our Father. So it was. Oh, wow quite an experience to be there with worldwide travelers, all who were looking for their, their language, um, while each of us was appreciating them but trying to find our own language. It was quite an experience. Uh, with Jordan River, we renewed our baptismal vows. Um, I don't know that it's what I expected it to look like, but it's a long river, so um, you know, I guess various places would look different, but it was sure. a, a very emotional day for, for many of us. Um, the Garden of Gethsemane, just to see the beauty there today, but know what it meant in Jesus' t- in his, his lifetime. Uh, Mount Zion, the Church of St. Peter's, which was built over Caiaphas's house, um, believed to be Caiaphas, the chief priest's house. 
We also saw the Senecal, the, uh, the upper room where the Last Supper was at. In Bethlehem, with the bas- uh, Basilica and the Grotto of the Nativity, um, the Dead Sea, where the Dead Sea Scrolls are. And we did have time to float in the Dead Sea, and um, many people used uh, the minerals um, mm-hmm. to make them rejuvenated. Wow. Um, we went to Masada. And then we finished up in Jerusalem in the Old City. Um, we walked the Via Della Rosa, the way of the station, uh, station of the cross, or the way of the cross. Um, they are nine of them. The first nine are outside in the Old town in which we were there very early in the morning so we could go before the the towns the shops were opening so you were basically walking through where today many shops are are carrying on for business um so the first nine of them are on this walkway i mean who's who isn't the right phrase but the the places you went are just extraordinary can you tell us um i'm sure the whole trip was emotional but of of the number of places you mentioned was there a a moment or a place that really struck you most um, deeply in terms of I am on the path of Christ here. I would say um, the upper the upper room, Last Supper. It looks just like the pictures that you would in all the portraits. Um, you think of it as an open, welcoming space. It's. I think today what's the most important is that this is where Jesus washing the feet of the apostles. It's his first sign to all of us that we're here for service to each other. And I think it's so important right now, as I think of all the great work that Catholic Charities has always done, but especially now, um, those who are working so hard to comfort people, to be there for each other. Um, I think that is, yes, the Eucharist was born there. This year we can't participate in that, but the message of that day is service to each other. Um, Praying at the Garden of Gethsemane, he did ask, God, could you let this cup pass for me? And he was able to accept that it's not going to pass. And I guess for us right now, we will get through this. Um, We know that there will be a resurrection at some point. Um, But for me, probably the most emotional and powerful connection was um, the Church of St. Peter's is built over the Palace of Caiaphas. And deep in the the basement, the pit, um, is a dungeon. And they believe that uh, Jesus was held there overnight and that he was lowered through a bottleneck top down in ropes. Um, this is a 15-foot square by 20 feet deep dungeon, and he would have been there, no way to get out, no windows to look at, nothing but just desolation and um, complete loneliness and isolation, which again, are we not experiencing this with him right now? And there's a psalm that's there that says, you have put me in the lowest pit, it is the darkest depths. And again, we've experienced that during this year as well with him. So I think those things, um, we were there with only a few people at that time, so you were able to really grasp what Christ went through. And so I think more than anything, we do understand that he understands many of us and all of us today. That's beautiful. And I should let our listeners know that Mary Ellen wrote about her experience in the Holy Land in our Teenager News publication in the December 2019 and April 2020 editions, and folks can find that at www.keenagernews.org. You can tell she's a beautiful writer just by the way she describes her visit. Um, We don't have a lot of time left, but if each of you could share with us, um, Father Kelly, we'll start with you, a favorite 
religious author or outlet that our listeners might look into as we try to shore up our our Holy Week and Easter practices this year? Okay, I, I, this year this year I've been reading a little flower again, Saint Teresa, um. and so and she led me to looking at the scriptures because she says uh, she she never read the great the great writers. She says when I read them I didn't understand them, but she says when I but when I go to the scriptures. I know what what is being said, and so I, I encourage people to read the accounts of the Lord's Passion, His Resurrection, and uh, for short, fervent prayers pierce the heavens. That's what Saint Vincent de Paul said. And if reading that touches our heart to lift it to God, it's wonderful. And the other thing in our age, we can whatever your favorite Easter songs are, you can go on YouTube and and listen to them <laughs> with the greatest choirs in the world. And so if we could put a song in our heart. Uh, you know, that way it, it might be something that can uplift us and, and help us during, during, during the time. But uh, we certainly go to the scriptures. It's a time for us to read all of the accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Do you have a favorite among those, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I guess, I guess John, because of the washing of the feet, and then uh, St. Jude asking the question, why do, you re- why do you reveal yourself to us and not to the rest of the world? And that begins the, the Last Supper discourse. Okay. Of uh, of uh, that Jesus gives at the at the Last Supper, and uh, it's just amazing. It's just it's just they don't know what's about to happen. Right. They, they don't know it's going to happen in a couple of hours, and uh, it's going to change the world. And so it's it that and the reality is it's still happening now. Right. How about you, Mary Ellen? Well, I would say I, I agree with Father, um, but also Dynamic Catholic has a number of great books out there, and one of them, um, the Rediscovering the Saints, um, does talk about all this, uh, many of the saints, not all of them, but um, how their lives really are very similar to ours, um, which might be very inspirational, and um, just to know that those, those were real people. They, did, they, they lived. They went through some difficult times. Um, Certainly social media, and again, live streaming through many of the parishes. I know our parish, Old St. Pat's, will have a week full of um, opportunity for people to, while you can't be in church, you can be there um, virtually. Um, Catholic Extensionist Society will be having things around the the country. Um, And then the Hallow app that um, many people have turned to as a source of prayer and and, uh, meditations. Um, There's also just maybe not religious per se, but some of our leaders, um, Victor Frankel, uh, Winston Churchill, some of the writings and books that they had that would inspire people. Yeah, um, that's a great idea. Queen Elizabeth yesterday, listen to her YouTube um, um, and how inspiring. You know, 80 years ago she gave her first address on, on the radio, and here she is at the age of 93 still inspiring people. Right. So wherever you can find a source of inspira- inspiration and, and be a source of inspiration to others is, is what's will get us through Holy Week in a beautiful way this year. Oh, so perfectly said. I think, um, as you say, you know, look for the light, but be a light, right? This is an opportunity for all of us to demonstrate tenderness and love for one another. You can learn more about Catholic Charities and its vital ministries by going to catholiccharities.net. We close with a reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. We have daily Masses from St. James Chapel at the Quigley Center and Sunday Masses in English, Spanish, and Polish from Holy Name Cathedral. The Masses for Holy Week and Easter Sunday will be available at archchicago.org. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com 
slash Catholic Chicago. Thanks for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio 950 and 930 AM. I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Stay safe and healthy and have a blessed Easter. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.